Balotelli. Aguero! Lewandowski goes through again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think he scored a goal every time he's had a shot. Hello, guys. Welcome back to a Premier League only episode of the 50 Plus One Football Podcast. Your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. No Bundesliga games this week because of the winter break. But with me, as always, is a man who, to me, is like a packed winter schedule to the Premier League, Lewis. That's right, guys. We're with you again for some Premier League action. And today we will be having a look at the London Clash. Who would have seen that scoreline coming? And then we'll also have a look at Manchester United. Do we? they have the top four in them? We think so. But how far will they really go? All of this coming up. And I think we'll launch right into the London Derby because that game was so much fun to watch. At the same time, so baffling to watch. Because I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm always the sucker for the underdog having a go of it and and really taking, taking the favorites to town, which is exactly what Arsenal did. Especially with that team they played as well. I think if if someone had said to you, oh, Arsenal are going to play Pablo Mari, Emil Smith-Rowe, Gabriel Martinelli, and not play Aubameyang against Chelsea, you'd sit there and go, well, they're going to get battered. I'm pretty sure both of us were trying to figure out if we were going to go with a 4 or 5-0 smacking where Chelsea would take all three points. That's what I thought was going to happen. I thought Chelsea were going to turn up and it was just going to be more woe for Arsenal. Well, put it this way, the form of both teams didn't really say 3-1 to Arsenal. And I mean, for most, for the most part, it was 3-0. <laughs> yeah, I, Tammy Abraham was very lucky to get that goal at the end. But I, I don't know what went wrong for Chelsea. Well, here's the thing. Boxing Day always loves a good bit of upset. You could almost count Boxing Day as an FA Cup draw, if you will, where form is, you might as well chuck that right out the window because it doesn't matter what, te- what form the teams are on. Boxing Day just somehow shuffles the cards completely new. Ridiculous. And it started, well, it, they carried on as, as it started. You know, Arsenal were... Hungrier, they got to second balls first. They just, they look more motivated, like they wanted it more. I mean, they came out of the gates guns blazing, more or less, because they, they did not let up. I mean, for the first minute, they were just on it. They were producing chances. I mean, Chelsea, for a good part of that first, you know, five to ten minutes, looked stunned. They, they they honestly, I don't think any of the Chelsea players thought, you know, Arsenal are going to come out of the gates fast. They all thought, I'm pretty sure they all thought they were, hmm, they'll, they'll come out, you know, they'll, they'll take it slow. They'll have a look at what we do and then figure out what the plan is from there. But no, 
Arsenal were like, yeah, we're going to make this game all about us. And we have a clear plan in our heads. You know, the Arsenal that I think we knew from almost the Arsene Wenger years where they, where they were still actually among the top six. The lineup shocked me a little bit, but it was something that I said on here, I called for a few weeks ago. Drop the players that, don't, that aren't performing, that, that you can't get the best out of, and play the young players. Just casually throwing another little narcissistic comment there, making sure that it's all about you. Well, Arteta <laughs> clearly listens to this. Duh. Because I called for Emil Smith-Rowe to be played. Granted, I was about I to say. I didn't think it would be at home against Chelsea. I was thinking more FA Cup next weekend. Yeah, but I think he did well. Oh, he was great. I think when you play Xhaka and El Nenny, you lack creativity, and Emil Smith-Rowe gives creativity. Having said that, Xhaka El Nenny, I mean, some of the balls that Xhaka was playing in behind Chelsea's back line, You'd almost think Mesut Ozil was on the pitch again. He looked a completely different player to the one that got sent off against Burnley. Oh, yeah. That free wanna, kick. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I want to talk that free kick. Even though it wasn't like perfectly top corner, I, th- I think he put so much power on that and Mendy was never going to get to that. I'd go as far as to say Manuel Neuer might not even get to that on his best day. You know, he put so much power behind that you could see what it meant to him as well like with the whole like clenching his fist proper the emotion come out of him when he scored that yeah i think it's also almost like as if a you know a nod has burst at arsenal because just you know the the form they were on just in the weeks coming up to this match it just was for lack of a better word dead awful yeah well granite jack has had a bit of a rough time of it at Arsenal, mainly through his own doing. Yeah, he didn't exactly have the fans on his side after. Well, yeah, there was the whole <laughs> when he sarcastically clapped off the fans when they were booing him when he got taken off. He lost the captaincy. You know, he, I mean, he's a good player. He's just very rash and doesn't think before he does things. Hot-blooded, so to speak. Yeah, and I just want to quickly Hot-headed. touch on the penalty incident. Oh, okay. That was a bit soft. It was soft, but you can't, you know, you expect it now, but it's not so much Kieran Tierney. It's more Reese James. I, I think he's great going forward, but going back, I think he really does lack. And it will come with experience, but he was turned too easily by Kieran Tierney. And then you, you know you can't make contact. Yeah, I'm still going to go go ahead and say, referee, man, have a day off. It's it's a soft penalty to give. Obviously, with the rule book these days, and you know there is contact. He has no chance of getting the ball from behind him. Yes, you can say technically, according to the rule book, yes, but it's like one of those things with the offside where if the player has a bit his big toe is in the offside position. You know, you don't want to see that being called for offside, but technically speaking, the rule book says it is. It's one of those things. I'm, 
I'd still be pretty angry if I was a Chelsea fan with that penalty given. Well, we'll get to their penalty in a sec. But Bakayo Saka, not only did he run that game completely, did he mean that goal? Hell no. That was a cross all day. I mean, it couldn't have fallen better, but there was no way he meant that. I get I get shades of Tom Cleverley away at Newcastle in 2012. Yeah. <laughs> Edge of the box, trying to whip it in for Van Persie at the back post. It just nestles in the top corner. It's like, you can see it in the replay. He said to Wayne Rooney, there's no way did I miss that. <laughs> and, you know, Saka said afterwards, like, oh, I saw him off his line. I was like, yeah, but the way he hit that, it was just, when it rains, <laughs> it pours, and it poured for Chelsea yesterday. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, Saka. Oh, sorry, I'll let, let you finish in a minute. But uh, Saka, come on, man! Have everyone, everyone who's seen the replays on that knows you meant to cross that ball. There was no way in hell you were like, "Oh yeah, I saw he was off his line. I'm gonna whip it back post." I mean, you could see the trajectory of the ball, and he didn't exact. He wasn't exactly steady on his feet. You know, he was off balance after making that shot. Which suggests to me as if it was just, you know, as you said, a cross that's gone wrong. When it's going your way, it's going your way, isn't it, though? Oh, uh, yeah. Like you said, he ran that game. Exactly. He was outstanding and deservedly man of the match. And Jorginho came on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's basically all he really did. <laughs> yeah, he, that bit was an awful penalty. I mean, it just goes to show also that uh, a couple of weeks ago, Frank Lampard is saying, you know, yeah, Jorginho is a good penalty taker, but I had a conversation with him and said, you know, Timo Vanna is taking our penalties. Who took Timo Vanna off at halftime? That's one thing else I want to, to bring up again. Uh-huh. <laughs> again. You pay £60 million pounds for a striker, then stick him left wing. Shock horror, he doesn't perform. And then in your post-match, have the audacity to say, oh, the players have to take some responsibility. Yeah, I don't know. I had a long conversation with Louis Beneventi today, who many of you know, we had on this channel. He knows Chelsea in and out. He is Mr. Chelsea YouTube. And he as well said, Lampard is just stubborn. Lampard should be playing with two up front. He doesn't understand why... Chelsea don't at least go to a 4-4-2 or a 3-5-2. And this is something we talked about on the podcast as well a couple of weeks ago. Why is he playing players out of position? He's played Kai Havertz not once in his preferred number 10 position this season. Not once. And Timo Werner has played maybe three games where he's actually been up top. And every time he's been up top, he's been the lone striker up top, given... He probably can play this role, but Timo Werner, as you said a couple of weeks ago, functions so well in that duo with uh, Yusuf Paulson. Why is Lampard not seeing that? Why is he being so stubborn? Because at some point you have to understand, or you have to ask, is the manager really doing the right job? Because a manager who sticks to his one tactic, no matter what results are being produced, you know, that's not a good manager. That's just a stubborn manager. That's a manager who just doesn't want to see that the tactic he's put a lot of time and effort in isn't working and that he has to redo this tactic. 
I don't want to keep slagging him off because it's it's going to sound like I, I'm just I've got it in for Frank Lampard, but it's almost like incredibly championship. You know, you have your pacey wingers and then you've got your big target man up front. It doesn't always work. Sometimes you need a double pivot up front. You need an Abraham or a Giroud and a Timo Werner. Yeah, I mean, we also talk about, you know, there, there have been a lot of Twitter comments and, uh, and memes being posted about this. I think you had one with uh, that referenced, referenced the work done by Marina Granovskaya, their technical director. You want to get that one up real quick? Oh, yeah. Let me find that. So this is not my opinion. This is, you know, Twitter user number 1703. So Frank Lampard in his post-match said, oh, the players have to take responsibility. He's like, well, no, you're the manager. You have to manage these players. So he, he said, Frank Lampard is an absolute hack. He's a discount version of Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. I'll touch on that in a sec. If it wasn't for Marina Granovskaya's genius, you best believe he'd be a flop. Okay, I'm gonna, we're going to take this apart real quick. I think it's going a bit too far calling him a hack and, and saying he's, he'd be a flop without the technical director because I think we've seen that he can manage on the high level and that he... It, you know, up to about a month ago, or maybe three weeks ago even, Chelsea did perform pretty well. And they, you know, they had their wrinkles and whatnot, but they did perform. You know, you can't, you can't ignore that. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to really pinpoint what the issue is. But I think there, there does have to come a time where he has to take responsibility himself and say, yeah, look, yeah. I've tried this. It's not worked. I, you know, if, if I said it about Marcelo Bielsa being stubborn, I've got to say about Frank Lampard. The best managers adapt and they change their system if it's not working, even temporarily for like one game. They'll change it. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's the part of that, of that tweet that I agree with is the fact that, you know, he is just being stubborn and he's not, he's he's only sticking to that one tactic i do however have to think that we have to talk about the you know the genius of marina granovskaya i think the genius is more directed at her ability to close transfers and her ability to negotiate because if we're being honest i'm not sure how genius it is to sign kai havats for 80 million and sign hakim ziyech for 40 million and have signed two players for a combined total of 120 million pounds that play in the same position. I'm not sure you can call that genius because that's just a headache for Frank, for Frank Lampard. I think it's more of a, it's that typical Chelsea thing. It's we've got a lot of money. We're going to spend it. Yeah. But on two players for the same position. Yeah. And it's not worked. And there's only so much money you can throw at a team or throw at a manager. Sorry before Roman Abramovich, uh, you know, eventually throws his toys out of the pram and goes, no, I want someone else. I think one thing has to be said, and that is if Chelsea were to let go Frank Lampard at any point this season, that'd be a massive mistake. 
because one, who the hell are you going to get in? Because if we're being honest, you know, Thomas Tuchel, he's just been let go by Paris. Pochettino, most likely going to take over at Paris. And then after that, who are you going to get? Who's actually got the caliber for Chelsea? And moreover, it'd play into another narrative that we love to peddle on this podcast, and that is the respect for the process. And I think we have to definitely respect the process that Frank Lampard is going to be going through for Chelsea. We're definitely criticizing him and saying, you know, we ha- he should at some point adapt because, you know, that should be part of the process. If something's not working, you switch it out, change it, whatever. But I think people have to give him the time and give him the process because there's guaranteed already some Twitter user going around and saying, oh, Lampard out, which I think is way too early. Well, of course it is. It's a toxic place, Twitter. And... You know, you see what other managers have done when they've had the time and the patience. But that's the thing. I don't think Roman Abramovich has that patience in him. Well, then he's going to have to accept that, you know, that Champions League title that he won in 2012, it doesn't happen every year that, you know, you have a manager who comes in from the get-go and is able to get that out of a a club or, or a team. You know, that's a one-off thing. Ignoring the fact that they won that Champions League by blind luck. Let's not open not that wound. But I think we just one more tweet before we, before we change this. Letting Arsenal tuck you in like this with a Xhaka Elneny pivot, some academy kids, a random guy from Brazil in defense, and a championship-level defender next to him. They even told Aubameyang to rest. After you spent $200 million. It's kind of hard to argue. <laughs> it doesn't reflect very well. And one thing I do want to just quickly ask you, how do you think the media and everything would have reacted had it been Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on the back of a 3-1 loss to Arsenal or Mikel Arteta on the back of a 3-1 loss to someone lower down in the table than Arsenal? Hard to find these days. Uh, anyways, <laughs> no, definitely. I think there's a media bias towards Frank Lampard and it might be because he's English and he's because he's, you know, he was a talisman player. I, I think Frank Lampard is synonymous with the English midfield. He is up there with the icons of English football, like George Best, like David Beckham. And I think that gives him a little bit of leeway in terms of the media, because you're completely right. You know, Solskjaer Arteta would would definitely be, they would have been hung in the press. Absolutely, they would have been they would have been completely savaged by by the tabloids, and it would have been it would have been a nightmare. You have to also say fair enough. We're going to go into a little bit of a comparison here because we can't say it's been all sunshine and roses for Arsenal up to this point. Unai Emery versus Arteta after 26 games played. Emery had 15 wins versus 12 wins from Arteta, five draws versus six draws from Arteta, and six losses versus eight losses from Arteta. You know, and people were saying Unai Emery was the worst Arsenal manager ever. Again, I think it's that club legend thing. I think... Arteta gets a little bit more leniency because of how well he did when he was at Arsenal. 
So same thing as the leniency that Frank Lampard gets because he's an English legend. Yeah, and similar to the leniency Ollie has had in the past because of how because of his past at United. Yeah. Yeah. But I sent you something that was quite, that was quite interesting. So they say Unai Emery is the worst Arsenal manager ever, but his Villarreal team are currently on a club record run of 19 games without defeat. It, it speaks volumes. <laughs> I, I'd say, I'd go as far as to say it's a problem with the players that Arsenal has because Arsenal has slowly kind of slipped away. It's kind of, it kind of doesn't really make sense. They don't, they keep, they, they've kept on bringing players, but the, the standard of players has kept on slipping down. I mean, it's a far cry from the team that featured Thierry Henry, Robin van Persie, Jens Lehmann in goal, you know, Lauren Koscielny when he was at his best, Mesut Özil when he was at his best. You know, Arsenal does not attract top talent anymore. And there's no player at Arsenal right now who I'd say, oh, do you know what? He is absolutely world-class. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty easy to agree with that. You know, well done to them having a plan and then clearly having Chelsea, you know, in a vice-like grip for that whole match. But they need to start getting their act together and figuring out how to do this consistently. Because the way their season's going, they may have just moved up to 14th, I believe. But that's miles off from where they want to be. Yeah, it's all right doing that. Like you say, they could beat Chelsea 3-1 and then for all we know, they could lose to West Brom on New Year's Day. Exactly. And correction, they are still 15th. Well, there we go then. But from one red team to another, Ollie's at the wheel. I mean, I'd I'd almost wanted to I almost wanted to say you know when it comes down to it, Solskjaer will get the result for Manchester United, but then the genius of Jamie Vardy had to come through, and I think it's it was a bit unfair calling that a, a Twenzebe own goal because it was going in if Twenzebe took that off, you know, took the deflection or not. Yeah, I I don't think I don't think United can be upset that Jamie Vardy scored because that's what he does I think they'd be more upset with the Rashford chance after like 90 seconds oh yeah I mean he you can't get much more open it was it was a gift it really was and even the other chance he had and everyone was like oh what a save by Kasper Schmeichel it wasn't Rashford hit it at his at his hand uh, you know, I'm going to disagree with you there because he was, it was a low, solid save. If you keep that low, that's going in. Well, yeah, but I put it this way. It was a good save, but 99 t- times out of 100, he puts that chance away because he's more or less through on goal by himself. Exactly. You know, Martial had a chance where he was offside. Didn't need to be offside because, of course, he's quicker than Johnny Evans. I don't know. I mean, I'd, 
I wouldn't get too annoyed about the offside, in my opinion. I think it's a bit the offside. Yeah, sure, but you know, offside or not, you, there's no getting around the fact that your star player misses two sitters. Really, yeah, that's inexcusable. And if it costs them top four, then they've really only got themselves to blame for not taking chances because it's not the first time. And another yeah. thing, Solskjaer said afterwards, you know, Fernandez, as good as he is, makes him tear his hair out. Because if he doesn't try to nutmeg, I think it's Decore. If he doesn't try to nutmeg Decore, Harvey Barnes probably doesn't score. Yeah, yeah. I, I said this to you right after watching the uh, like rewatching the highlights again. Um, you know, he's he just needs to knock that ball away. You know, I get that he is on a high and he is very much he very much thinks that he is more or less invincible on that pitch on that pitch right now. But at some point, and we saw it in that instance perfectly, it gets to his head, and then he basically he goes overboard with it. All he had to do was knock that ball away. We're going to, I mean, ignoring the fact that Scott McTominay basically just lets Barnes have a shot. And I mean, that's some of the most passive defending I've seen this season from a defender defending at the edge of his own 16 yard box. It's, it's just crap defending. Didn't make for great viewing. I'll be honest. It's one of those ones you just think it's just so avoidable. Yeah, and I'd argue from a goalkeeping standpoint, De Gea puts one more step across goal and then goes for the dive. He makes a save. He's not been great from outside the boxes. His last four shots outside the box have been three goals and one save. Well, there you go. And I mean, we, we both know, or many, I'd say many people know that he is still a relative a relatively far a relative far cry from the from the top of his level where he was about three years ago. Oh, too right. But I wanna touch more on Bruno Fernandez, if you'll allow. Because I, I want to ask if you can think of another player coming into a team mid season because he joined in January and having the level of impact he's had. Because since February of this year, he's been directly involved in 52% of United's Premier League goals. Yeah, 31 out of 60 is the statistic that I have written down here. Yeah, it's obscene. You're not wrong. I think, I think for the fact that he's done that well and had the impact he's had, there's definitely... I can't think of a player right now who's had the same impact coming in mid-season. I can think of a couple who have done so at the beginning of a season, you know, coming in when they've had, they've had, you know, a normal summer break and normal uh, summer preseason prep, but no player who comes right off, you know, moves country middle of the year. It's not like you have a ton of time to adapt when you move in the winter. And he just comes right in and he hasn't let up, has he? He's been consistently the best player on that team since he joined. And you see 
Solskjaer tried to leave him out against Southampton. It just didn't work. He had to bring him on, him and Cavani on at half time. And then the entire dynamic change. It's just like. Would you say that United are too dependent on Bruno Fernandes at the minute? Yeah, I would. Because as, as good as Donny van der Beek is, I don't think if Fernandes got injured, I don't think van der Beek in that number 10 or even Pogba in that number 10 would create half the chances Fernandes does. For the amount of times he gives the ball away, say he gives the ball away 10 times, he'll create about eight or nine chances. It's, you don't have to look far. He, in that game against Leicester, he may have given the ball away, but he set up the first goal and got the second goal himself. So, <laughs> you know, I, There's only so much one player can do. Yeah, I'd also go as far as to say that assist that he had for the first goal Marginal. was nice. It was, it was nice. Yeah, but it was that much nicer than the actual goal he scored because it was just pure instinct. And some players just have to be crazy enough to just hope. Some of them will see that ball and be thinking, yeah, I'm not getting to that ball. I might as well not even try. But he still thinks, you know, I think I can get to that ball. And I think if I'm lucky, there's a player who's there to slot that home. And that's just that small infinitesimal difference between the top players. Yeah, and, and he, said, he said after the game that he went in the dressing room and he was happy to see everyone annoyed and pissed off because they should have done this differently. Everyone was saying, oh, we could have done this. I could have done that differently. We have to do this better. And I think that yeah. that's the mentality shift that he's brought. And I think not purely based on that, but that's probably why United will get top four. I'd say top four is definitely in there. If United can keep the consistency and not pull random stuff like losing 1-0 to Arsenal those you know a few months back, then they definitely can do that. So just before we finish, seeing as it is our episode closest to Christmas, Lewis, yeah. what is your worst and your best football-related gift you've ever received at Christmas? Because I, there are some horrendous ones out there. I'm not sure about the horrendous ones because I think I was even happy about the about the shot glasses with the Bayern Munich logo that I got on them a couple of years ago. <laughs> I was kind of happy with those. Ah, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know, you know. Mm, I'll let you go first with the horrendous one. I can't think of one at the minute. Okay, well, it it's it's bad. It's not something that you're gonna sit there and go, "Oh, why the hell have you? Why the hell have you got me that?" It's just tacky as anything. <laughs> it's the Christmas jumpers with Ooh, all the no. club branding on. <laughs> okay, like, I'll give you that. You definitely have me beat then. Ooh. They're grim. And it's they like, really yeah, are. I get that you want to support your team and you also want to have a good Christmas, but there are some things football shouldn't mix with. And Christmas jumpers is probably the one for me. Wait, so you've actually gotten one of these? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was a few years back now. Oh, no. Yeah, okay. I was about to say, if we're just going to go through, you know, the presents you could get, then I could definitely think of some. But ones that we've actually gotten, you've actually gotten one of those. Oh, no. <laughs> it's Jesus. like, you know, there'll be a, a big 
crest on their snow falling down and normally a reindeer with X clubs, colours, scarf on. And it's just generic football Christmas jumper. Oh, uh, do you know what the worst ones are? I saw, uh, I think I saw it was either Schalke or, or, or Hetta Berlin who had one where basically the, there was a body of like a little Christmas gnome that was doing some kind of jiggy dance on the, on the sweater. And then basically the wearer's head was supposed to be the gnome's head as well. Oh God. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That bad. Okay. Well, let's finish on the best ones then. Well, I think obviously the best ones are just a shirt, you know, a kit. Yeah. Okay. Well, give me a specific one. Come on. Oh, there have been a lot of one. I think my, my grandmother has been very, very good to me with the, with the with the presents she's actually come out with in the last few years. Not going to lie, I think it's going to have to be the 2011-2012 Bayern Munich goalkeeper shirt. It was white with red accents, and it was the first shirt that had Neuer on the back. Oh. Yeah, I think special. I remember seeing that one in the Champions League. Oh, yeah. A special, special place in my mind. That, I'm, I don't know what it, what it is about a white goalkeeper kit, but it just they do look fresh. Yeah, they're just clean. I think, How about you? I think for me, it's a toss-up between two. So I must have been about five or six. I got a United home shirt with Paul Scholes on the back. Ooh, ooh. And it was that sort of thing. It was that I wasn't really into football at the time. <laughs> but getting that and it's like, oh, yeah, do you know who Paul Scholes Oh, well, yeah, let me show you. When United play, let me show you Paul Scholes. I was like, oh, okay. I love this guy. <laughs> and the other one was actually one I got this year. Uh, one of my mates got me a 2008 home shirt. The season we last won the Champions League. Ooh. Ooh. It's probably my favorite home shirt. Just purely because of the memories. Because I, I can remember exactly where I was when we won that final. And I know exactly the minute I cried. Before AIG went bankrupt, mind you. <laughs> yeah. I think the season after that, we were Aeon. Yeah, because AIG went down with the 2008 financial crash. <laughs> what a time to be a shirt sponsor. Oh, exactly. I mean, but not that I'm now, laughing at that misfortune, but you know. Well, that's now hung up on my wall and it will remain there. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, I think on that note, we'll end this little... Boxing Day episode of the 50 Plus One Football Podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, follow us on social media. We're always grateful. But thanks very much for listening, guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game.